Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we speak to Ghana striker Majid Waris on the Black Stars' chances of success at this year's Africa Cup of Nations. And we talk about the countries that Waris has played in. He's with Nantes in France right now and has played in four other European countries. I'm always happy to take a new challenge. I'm never scared to take a new challenge. And then um, through that, I've been matured and then I've learned a lot from all the different places I've been. Plus analysis on the gripping title race in the English Premier League and a look at some of the Africans who might feature in the knockout stage of the UEFA Champions League. Well, that's all coming up. But first, the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations is on in Niger with the final group games on Friday and Saturday. These games will be bigger than the final itself as the top four teams qualify for the 2019 FIFA Under-20 World Cup in Poland. Uh, With two groups of four teams, it means that the top two in each group qualify for the Under-20 World Cup and, of course, also go through to the semi-finals of this tournament. Well, Senegal were the first team to book their place in Poland as they won 2-0 against Ghana on Wednesday. Senegal have six points in their group. Ghana and Mali have three. Burkina Faso have none and can't qualify now from Group B. In Group A, Nigeria on top with four points. South Africa and the host Niger on two. Burundi on one point, so all are still in with a chance of getting through to the last four. Well, the CAF Champions League continues this coming Tuesday. It's match day four, and DR Congo giants TP Mazembe set a group stage record last time, beating Tunisia's Club African 8-0 last weekend, with veteran Trezor Mputu Mabi scoring twice. And Club African coach Chiheb Elili quit after the embarrassing defeat. In another big win, Egypt's Al-Athli thrashed Simba of Tanzania 5-0. Al-Athli top Group D with seven points. In Group A, the 2017 winners Widad Casablanca of Morocco won 1-0 away to Lobby Stars of Nigeria, while Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa beat Ivory Coast's Asik Mimosas 3-1. It's been all home wins in the group so far, except for that Widad away victory, so Widad are looking good for a place in the quarterfinals. Group B is pretty close. The defending champions Esperance have five points, so the Tunisians the same number of points as South Africa's Orlando Pines. Pirates with Horoya of Guinea on four and FC Platinum of Zimbabwe bottom with just the one point. Horoya were here in Zimbabwe last weekend and beat FC Platinum 1-0. Horoya, a team that must be treated with a lot of respect. They reached the quarterfinals in the last edition of the Champions League and their squad includes players from Senegal with Kadim Njai, who was in goal for Senegal in all three games at the World Cup last year. Also, they have players from Mali, from Nigeria, from Ghana, Liberia, Chad and Burkina Faso. Horoya is a privately owned club and they seem to be coming up a bit like a TP Mazembe. Their coach is Patrice Never, who's from France. He took Guinea to the quarterfinals of the 2004 Africa Cup of Nations and has also coached to DR Congo and Mauritania. So Horoya, a team I think that uh, should be looked out for in the coming years. 
So those games are on on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week and the UEFA Champions League is back on Tuesday of next week too with the round of 16 getting underway with first leg matches and the standout tie has to be Manchester United against Paris Saint-Germain. Stuart gives us this preview including a look at the African players. So the eight ties are Manchester United against Paris Saint-Germain, Roma against Porto, Tottenham against Borussia Dortmund, Ajax against Real Madrid, Lyon against Barcelona, Liverpool against Bayern Munich, Schalke against Manchester City, and Atletico Madrid against Juventus. Before we look at the draw in details, let me explain that the draw for the round of the 16 is not an open draw. Group winners play group runners-up, but you cannot play a team from your own country. So take Manchester City as an example. Group winners, uh, they cannot play any of the other seven group winners, nor can they play Lyon, who were second in their own group, nor can they play the three English clubs. So that actually left them with only four possible opponents, Atletico Madrid, Roma, Ajax and Schalke, and they got Schalke. But once we get to the quarterfinals, it's an open draw, anyone can play anyone. It's really fascinating that there are three German clubs in the last 16 and they all play English clubs. That will be an interesting contest given the rivalry between England and Germany in football over the years. And the other interesting thing about this is when we come to the 12th of February, German clubs will have had three weeks off, whereas in the same period, English clubs will have played six or seven games. So will that be a factor? Now, Looking out for African players in the draw, 13 of the 16 teams have at least one African player, and there's a total of 27 African players potentially involved. Manchester United, with Ivorian Eric Bailly in their squad, play Paris Saint-Germain, who have Eric Kupomotting from Cameroon. Manchester City, with Riyad Mahrez from Algeria, play Schalke. Although Schalke at the moment, interestingly, are in the bottom third of the German league table. Schalke's players are Hamzi Mendel from Morocco, Salif Sani from Senegal, Nabil Bentaleb from Algeria. Schalke have Salif Sani and Manchester City have Leroy Sani. And to add to the confusion, Leroy is German and used to play for Schalke. So that'll take a bit of sorting out. Porto, with four Africans, play Roma, who have none. Porto have Yassim Brahimi, Algeria, and Vincent Abubakar from Cameroon, and Marega from Mali. So, interesting African interest there. Tottenham, with Serge Aurier from Cote d'Ivoire, and possibly Victor Wanyama from Kenya, play Dortmund, who don't have any Africans, but Dortmund, top of the German league, will be pretty difficult opponents for Tottenham, I think. Lyon, with Bernard Traore from Burkina Faso and Maxwell Corney from Cote d'Ivoire, play Barcelona. And we do need to mention Corney, who scored two goals for Lyon against Manchester City already in the Champions League. So uh, it's a competition that he, he quite likes, I imagine. Ajax, with four Africans, play Real Madrid, who don't have any at the moment. Ajax have their goalkeeper that we featured on this programme, Andre Onana from Cameroon, and three Moroccans. Liverpool, who of course are flying in all competitions, have Joseph Matip, Moussala, Nabi Keter and Sadio Mane. And they play Bayern Munich 
who do not have an African at the moment. Bayern are not having a great season and are only third in the Bundesliga. And I think Liverpool actually have a great chance of turning them over. And in the final tie, Atletico Madrid have got Thomas Partey from Ghana. Now, I did stick my neck out earlier and say that I thought Juve could win the Champions League this year. So we'll have to see what happens. Thanks, Stuart. And Juventus no longer have the highly rated Morocco centre-back Mehdi Benatia. Uh, he made a move last month to Qatar to Al Duhail for around $9 million. And Barcelona's squad for the knockout stage includes Ghana's Kevin Prince Boateng, uh, their new signing, along with 20-year-old B-team forward Moussa Wage of Senegal, who became the youngest African goalscorer in World Cup history last year in their match against Japan in Russia. We'll see if either of those two do get to play. Well, we stay in Europe as we go to our interview now with Ghana striker Majid Waris, who plays for Nantes in the French League One on loan from Portuguese side Porto. Waris is 27. He's played in Sweden, Turkey and Russia, as well as France and Portugal. At national team level, Waris has 31 appearances for the Black Stars, but he's yet to make it to the Africa Cup of Nations, with injury ruling him out in 2015 and in 2017 when he was in line to play on both occasions. Waris hopes his good spell of fitness in France can help him to get into the Black Stars' plans for this year's Nations Cup. He spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji and first talked about his form at Nantes, where he has six goals in 25 games this season, most recently scoring on Tuesday in a 1-1 draw against Saint-Étienne. Yeah, um, for me, it's something I've been working really hard for and then um, I'm just happy that my hard work is paying off and then um, I hope it continues to pay off. People told you remain in the French Ligue 1 and then you went to Portugal. Before we know it, you were back in the, um, in the French League again. What's really motivated that? Um, for me, I think um, the play in the top five league in Europe, I think is something very motivating. And then um, playing in the French League, I think the competition there is very high and then um, everything has been, has been fantastic. And then I really enjoy playing in that league. Yeah, I went to Portugal and then... Um, I signed for Porto and then I play a few games, but um, I think um, the French league is more higher than the Portuguese league. When you left Porto for Nantes, you said it's not a goodbye because you still have some business to do. What does that mean? Uh, for me, I always believe, um, I've, I know I've set my, my record, I, the kind of goals I want to score in the league. Huh? And then um, I'm nearing that and then um, hopefully, and then inshallah, hopefully I'll get to complete that. Okay, when we look at um, the way your career has gone, I mean, I mean, look at you, young player, but you've been all over the place. You've played in Sweden, you've played in Russia, you've played in Turkey. You're... How have you been able to manage as a young Africa to stay relevant in top league in Europe? Um, for me, I would say like um, it all comes through my hard work. Because for you, for a young professional footballer to start all the way from college in the UK and then moving to play professional football, you can see I've been to lots of different places and then all that comes through my hard work because um, hopefully like um, normally after every season I have like lots of different approach and then um, I'm always happy to take a new challenge. I'm never scared to take a new challenge and then um, through that I've been matured and then I've learned a lot from all the different places I've been. And looking at the national team, the last African Cup of Nations, you didn't play in that competition for Ghana. Everyone is saying the Black Stars in 2019, you have a huge role to play in that competition. Is it something that 
bothers you that look i have an unfinished business i need to prove myself at that level um for me um i feel like you know with national team everyone everyone wants the best for the nation um everyone is talking about it's been ages since ghana won the african cup of nation or won a trophy and then um for this year i've been unlucky with lots of um with injuries when it comes to african cup of nations and then the competitions around as well but um this year i'm hoping hopefully i'll stay fit and then i'll be part of the team and then we don't expect anything than to win the cup because um i think that's the aim of all the players because if you look at the national team of ghana i think we have the quality to win the trophy what really goes wrong for ghana everyone saying two finals and what really really is the problem with ghana for me i'll just say we've been unlucky and then um we cannot start to be around we cannot start to talk about the past and then everything is gone and then the only thing that we can do is learn from what have gone and then prepare prepare towards it towards the new challenge talking about being unlucky you mentioned earlier about having you be, been unlucky with injuries now you you said you understand your body better because back then when you used to have these knocks and all of those things niggling injuries you didn't understand your body or you didn't know what to do yeah that's what I was, um that's what I'm saying like I've been unlucky with injuries and then now I got to understand a lot of things and then I've asked a lot of questions and then I've made sure like I've made um improvement into myself in terms of my my diet making sure I have enough rest and then my recovering process and then all these kind of things is the same as the national team so I've not been to the African Cup of Nation but I've been to the World Cup I know some of the mistakes that we made which has been corrected and then now with the African Cup of Nation I don't know some of the routine that they've gone that, that they go through there but I'm hoping that I'll be part of it this year um then um I but I hope most of the mistakes will be corrected and then um hopefully changes will come and then we can we I think with the quality there's no doubt that we can win the African Cup of Nation So that's Ghana striker Majid Waris who plays for Nantes in France speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. More from Waris next week as he speaks about the reported ego problems in the Ghana squad. Uh, so Solomon, Ghana have already qualified for the Nations Cup in Egypt in June. Could this be their turn to win it after such a long wait? Well, Steve, Ghana has won the title of the Africa Cup of Nations four times. In 1963, they were champions. Uh, also in 1965, they were champions. In 1978, when they hosted the Africa Cup of Nations, and then we have in 1982, they were also a champion. So four times. The last time they won this title was in 1982, and between 1982 and today, they've had some great squad qualified for the World Cup uh, for the first time in Germany 2006, and, and they were in South Africa also, second consecutive uh, World Cup. So Ghana had had its own fair share of ruling African football. They used to have, you know, great players right from before the era of Abidi Pele, Neo Dati Lamti, before Steven Apia. Before then, there was the era of the great Abdul Razak. So historically, Ghana has has uh, been, you know, a team that every at every Africa Cup of Nations they are tipped to win the trophy, uh, but they've only done that four times, and the last time in 1982. Would this opportunity, you know, coming up in Egypt, be the opportunity for them to be able to go out there and do well? With Ghana, you never know. You know, they always have that thing about them. uh but when they get to the quarterfinal semifinal that's where they have to make it count and and this could just be their opportunity if they can you know really put their house in order 
Yeah, and uh, Solomon Majid Waris, uh, certainly a player with a good record in Europe at club level. Uh, but uh, overall, is the Ghana squad as good as it was, as uh, let's say, back in 2010 when they reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup? I get a bit confused sometimes, you know, with players like Majid Waris, who played in, in Europe and good experiences. But bringing it down to from club level to the national team, uh, it's been a struggle for, for some of the players individually. The Ghana team of between 2006 and 2010 was, was really a solid, great team compared to what we have today, even before they got to the quarterfinals in 2010. I feel uh, there, there is no urgency to, to the Ghana team that we have today. Some of the players not really, I feel, not really playing in a committed way, but more to, to an individual. And the Ghana team back between 2006 and 2010 was all about you know, teamwork. And I think they need to go back to that and, and really bring some of these elements that the past Ghana national team had and combine it with what they have today, the experience and the European experience and, and the playing in the Champions League and the Europa League, uh, which has been good for a lot of the players to get more experience just so they would uh, be able to play well for their national team. Yeah, thanks, Solomon. We'll see how Ghana get on at the Nations Cup in June and July in Egypt this year. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. We have our other shows there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast. And you can read interviews with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Cameroon's Collins Fai. Uh, plus, there are pictures and profiles of all of the Planet Sport Football Africa team in the About Us section. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well, next we turn to social media, and on last week's show we talked about player agents. There are many stories of African players who've allegedly been exploited by unscrupulous agents who've persuaded the players to sign contracts that are clearly not in the player's interest while the agent collects their commission for the deal. We spoke to former Nigeria striker Stephen Makinwa, who's now a player agent himself and is determined to represent his players well. So we asked, what do you think about player agents? Are most of them out to exploit players or are there maybe just a few isolated cases of this happening? Well, on Facebook, Araki Mariam in The Gambia says, I think these are cases that normally happen to African players as they're eager to play for teams in Europe. On WhatsApp, a Belong Badgie in the Gambia says, because of their own self-interest, agents keep inducing players to sign instead of warning them to consider all the consequences carefully before any move. Also, some players from a poor background are quick to take any opportunity to advance their career by playing in a foreign country. And I think this could be a reason why some are exploited, says Belong. Yes, certainly. Uh, But uh, Aubrey Piri in Malawi thinks that agents do have a positive role to play. Exploitation only happens in isolated cases, says Aubrey. Other agents make sure that the players get good contracts because not all players are able to negotiate a good contract by themselves. And that's a good point there, Aubrey. It does underline the positive role that agents uh, can and do play on behalf of uh, some African players. 
But uh, K-Boy in The Gambia disagrees, saying the hard facts are that many agents are selfish. They'll always follow their own interests instead of working for the player's advantage, says K-Boy. And Medlove, also in The Gambia, agrees, saying most of the agents make more money than the players. Mohamed Krubali says, I think it's only a few isolated cases where this is happening, of players being exploited by their agents, but maybe players who have their own agents know the true situation better. Lamine Chatty in The Gambia has a different view, saying most of the players' agents don't look at the future interests of the player, but they are in it for what they'll get in their pocket now, says Lamine. And finally, Samba Zhao takes a more balanced approach, saying I think there are good and responsible agents ready to help players in terms of signing contracts and finding good clubs for their clients, says Samba. However, it's rather unfortunate that uh, in any association you go to, there are a few bad people who are always looking for their own personal interests rather than focusing on the interests of the people that they should be helping. Well, thanks for that, Samba, and thanks to everyone who got in touch. Uh, Always great to hear from you on social media. And this week, it's a big question. Is it Liverpool or is it Manchester City? Uh, Man City's win over Everton on Wednesday saw them move above Liverpool at the top of the English Premier League table, although Liverpool now do have a game in hand. A week earlier, Liverpool would have gone seven points clear at the top if they'd beaten Leicester, who held them to a draw. Uh, So then, who will take the title and what do you think will be the decisive factor? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who will take the English Premier League title? Is it Liverpool? Is it Man City? And what will be the decisive factor? Well, let's talk more about this now with Stuart Weir still with us from the UK. Uh, So Man City top now on goal difference, but having played a game more than Liverpool. Liverpool host Bournemouth on Saturday. Man City have a tough game at home to Chelsea on Sunday. Uh, So, Stuart, how do you assess the title race now? Well, Steve, what an exciting Premier League season this has been. Just think back to the beginning of December and we could only see one winner, Manchester City. Then City lost three times in December to Chelsea, to Crystal Palace, to Leicester City, and Liverpool opened up a substantial lead at the top. But then in the last week, Liverpool have drawn at home to Leicester City, drawn away to West Ham, two games you'd expected them to win. And with Manchester City beating Everton, as you say, City are now top of the league, albeit just on goal difference, and Liverpool with a game in hand. Incidentally, if you're wondering why Manchester City were playing this extra fixture midweek, it has been brought forward because in two weeks' time, City are in the League Cup final and therefore they've moved the fixture back. Anyway, that perhaps gives City an advantage since they're actually now on top of the table. You know, we've been analysing the remaining fixtures, trying to work out who has the easier run-in. But to me, it's become obvious. It's the team which holds its nerve better. You know, when Manchester City lost to Newcastle two weeks ago, they seemed to give the initiative even more strongly to Liverpool. But Liverpool have looked nervous in their last two games, as if the pressure is getting to them. I mean, normally you'd expect them to beat Leicester and West Ham comfortably, but it didn't happen. Liverpool play Bournemouth this weekend, 
And that seems an easy game, but, well, didn't we say the same about Leicester and West Ham? In the next three weeks, Liverpool play away to Manchester United and away to Everton, the Merseyside derby. Manchester City face Chelsea, and, of course, both teams have tough games coming up in the Champions League. And again, I just wonder if the fact that Liverpool are out of the FA Cup and out of the League Cup means that they're concentrating just on the league and the Champions League, whereas, of course, Manchester City at the moment are still going for four trophies. I think it's really too tight to call, and it will go down to the wire. Oh, yes, it may well do. Uh, What a close race it is. So uh, this week on social media, uh, we're asking, is it Liverpool? Is it Manchester City? Give us your thoughts and tell us what you think could be the decisive factor in the title race. You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And to Stuart, we looked at women's football on the show recently and there was a huge crowd for a women's match in Spain. Yeah, Bilbao women's team played Atletico Madrid in the Copa de la Arena, which means the Queen's Cup. You know, the men play for the King's Cup, the women for the Queen's Cup. And the attendance at that game was 48,121. And the thing is that when... The men's Bilbao team entertained Real Madrid in La Liga earlier in the season. Only 46,000 attended. Now, Atletico claim that this is the largest attendance ever for a women's game in Europe, breaking the record of 35,000, which they also held from 2003. And the way they achieved it is by having tickets at $6 per person, and allowing free admission to all the season ticket holders. And the initiative was praised by the Spanish Football Association, saying that they were writing football history in Spain. You know, it's really exciting, but at the end of the day, most games in England and around the world where women's professional football is played still only attract an attendance of one or 2,000. But I wonder what we can learn from the Bilbao experience. Well, very encouraging that for women's football And uh, what else have you got for us there, Stuart? Well, yes, Steve. I need to tell you about Ruben Neves, who scored for Wolves against Everton in the seventh minute last weekend. And seven spells Neves backwards, making him the first player in English football history to score in the minute that spells his surname backwards. Incidentally, it goes further. Neves is Portuguese, and he scored for a Portuguese manager, the African-born Nuno, and against a Portuguese manager, Marco Silva of Everton. Burnley are in the middle of a strange sequence of nine games in the Premier League. They lost three, then they won three, and now they've drawn the last three. Hmm. John Obi McHale played his first match for Middlesbrough and they came from behind to beat West Bromwich Albion 3-2. But the score was 2-1 to West Brom with 25 minutes to go when Brit Asamalonga from DR Congo came off the bench to score two goals and win the match. 
But it hasn't been all good for Middlesbrough since they were knocked out of the FA Cup by lowly Newport County. Remember we talked about Newport County beating Leicester City. Now they've beaten Middlesbrough and in the next round they play Manchester City. Isn't it remarkable? Sam Vokes joined Stoke from Burnley in the transfer window in an exchange with Peter Crouch. And Vokes' first contribution, I'm afraid to say, was to miss a penalty. And that incredibly means that Stoke have missed five of their last seven penalties this season. Amazing, really. Arsenal must really be wary of travelling to the northwest of England because they've done it twice this season and each time they've lost to a hat-trick by a South American striker. Liverpool beat them 5-1 with Roberto Firmino scoring uh, three times from the Brazilian. And this week... Manchester City, with Sergio Aguero scoring three times, beat Arsenal 3-1. And incidentally, we were talking about this last week, Aguero's third goal went in off his arm, but under the current law, it was not deliberate handball and the goal could stand. Finally, on referees, Mike Dean went into the Leicester-Manchester United game having shown 99 Premier League red cards. And he finished the game on 99. But it was interesting because Paul Pogba made a rather reckless tackle and Mendy, already on a yellow card, twice seemed to pull back a Manchester United player. But uh, Dean seemed to miss the incidents and he's still on 99. Well, so we'll see who referee Mike Dean does give his 100th red card to. Thanks very much, Stuart. That's it for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.